podcast by the European Policy Center, Belgrade-based independent think tank. My name is Anna Maric and I will be your host today. Our guest today is Tobias Flesenkemper, head of the Council of Europe office in Belgrade. Mr. Flesenkemper is well familiar with Serbia and the Western Balkans, with his previous postings including the European External Action Service in Bosnia and Herzegovina, the Council of European Union in Brussels, Skopje and Sarajevo, as well as the OSCE. He regularly contributes to research and higher education programs with a focus on European cooperation. Mr. Flexenkemper, welcome to our podcast. Uh, let's start uh, with, uh, of course, uh, 70 years of anniversary of Council of Europe. Congratulations on that. And uh, with uh, what uh, most of the citizens here perceive as its major achievement, and that is uh, the European Court of uh, Human Rights. That's something with which probably Council of Europe is mostly recognizable among the citizens of Serbia and probably of the region. Uh, statistics say that uh, uh, um, applications to the court, uh, currently Serbia has around 2,000 applications at the court, Serbian cases, and they mostly concern the breach uh, of the right to judgment in reasonable time frame. This is one of the most painful areas in law for the Republic of Serbia at European Court of Human Rights. Uh, citizens, of course, perceive this as the last uh, chance to access justice. Uh, so uh, can you say something? Is there any way to ensure better implementation of uh, the court decisions? Thank you for having me. Um, it's uh, great to uh, contribute to your podcast series and uh, European talks. We can never talk enough about Europe. Um, European unity and uh, European cooperation is of course, at the center of the action of the Council of Europe. Um, if, you, if you put yourself a bit into the situation 70 years ago, um, when the Council of Europe was created, the situation was far more complicated, far more difficult uh, than we can imagine today. Think about it in terms of the destruction of the continent. Think about the failure of institution. Think about genocide. Think about the human rights violation. Think about millions and millions of displaced people and refugees. And in this situation, 10, initially 10 states came together and said, like, we want to set European unity on a new foot. That was on the 5th of May, 1949. And thanks to the pressure of many uh, well-meaning people, including, for instance, people like Winston Churchill, um, they started immediately with a very important work and bringing forward an initiative to codify as a first region in the world the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And they started already in summer of 1949 to write down what could be elements and they fast forwarded this so that it was ready for signature on the 4th of November 1950. So just a year and a bit after the Council of Europe was created. And that convention has been, ever since, one of the most important civilizational achievements of Europe. The historian Mark Matsova, um, you may have read his book on the Balkans or other work on the history of the United Nations, he once coined the phrase that this was a strange triumph of human rights. Because what I described to you before was not a situation where people thought that human rights would be actually the basis of the new work order in Europe. And the court that was 
together with the commission at the time for human rights that was established following the signing and the ratification of the convention quickly became a point of reference. But we also have to be clear, not everyone signed up to it in the beginning. The country currently holding the chairmanship of the Council of Europe, France, was one of those who very late only signed up uh, to the full convention and also the jurisprudence of the court. There were many additions on how the court would function, but you're absolutely right, Sena, to say that the court has become, I'd like to call it a brand, um, an orientation for um, what it means to live in Europe. Because when you live in Europe, or in most countries in Europe, um, there are very few exceptions where the court has no jurisprudence, Belarus being it, um, then Going to Strasbourg is practically part of your identity. So if everything else goes wrong, you will say like, but then I will go to Strasbourg and I will fight for my human rights. I will fight for my rights and freedoms. Now, Serbia joined the Council of Europe. Um, Serbia joined the Council of Europe, actually not as Serbia. Um, but back in 2003, it joined as a state union of Serbia and Montenegro. And ever since, of course, the territorial legal identity of Serbia has changed. Um, uh, Montenegro became independent. There was a unilateral declaration of independence of Kosovo. Um, and also Montenegro rejoined the Council of Europe in 2007. But now we're looking back at 18 years cooperation within the Council of Europe with Serbia, but we're also looking at 18 years of practice of being fully integrated in the human rights systems. You quoted from the applications and the number of applications and the difficulties. It is true that Serbia is one of the small countries in the Council of Europe, or smaller countries, which has a disproportionate high level of application. It used to be, until very recently, among the top 10 in total numbers but of course, Serbia is not a country which is among the top 10 in terms of population. So this is an indicator that something is not as, as should function. Um, you highlighted as well the issue of what we call Article 6 cases. Now, I can encourage your readers to always have a look at the convention from time to time. You don't need to remember all the articles, but Article 6 is basically the article about doing justice and the justice needs to be seen to be done and you should have access to justice um, and this is what people complain because they don't feel that justice is being done if they have to wait too long for finding um, a finally legally uh, legal uh, closure of, of what they bring forward now, in the last years, um, this backlog has been worked upon by the Serbian judiciary um, but of course we cannot be satisfied um, and um, what it is also an indicator for is beyond the individual cases, which may in some case be extremely tiring but also painful um, under Article 6, um, there is the problem of the efficiency of the judiciary. 
And I'm sure we're going to talk about this maybe in, in when we talk a bit more about Serbia. But this is not something that is only there in Serbia. Mm-hmm. So many countries have looked at how to make case, uh, things more efficient. Um, and that's where the Human Co- Rights Court comes in and says, look, okay, if you have so many cases, really this means we have to work harder mm-hmm. on the efficiency. So basically the, 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 the idea of also efficient justice is something that developed a bit longer over time. Um, if you go back to the origins, um, 1949, um, other articles of the convention come into mind. Um, of course, the right to life. In 1950, it has been only very few years uh, after states were killing people. Just like this. So they, had, they said there is no people who have no right to life. It was still a period, and this is not unimportant to remember, where there was the East-West division, and um, in in some countries also after the Second World War, mass killings uh, were part of uh, daily experiences of communist takeover. So the right to life um, is, of course, central in the convention, and it's uh, still until today the one article uh, where many, many things hinge upon. Also, we have, of course, the Article 3, prohibition of torture, a prohibition of degrading treatment, uh, which is very central. But also issues like Article 10, freedom of expression, come into mind, um, and the whole other catalog um, of rights. Yes, as you mentioned, the, um, the human rights and uh, all the problems that we are facing in Serbia with regards to judiciary efficiency, independence, and the state of play of human rights are not only... Um, inherent to Serbia and the Western Balkan region, but uh, in the whole Europe uh, recently, uh, the Commissioner for Human Rights, Dunja Mijatović, issued a very strong uh, article uh, uh, explaining the severity of uh, judicial systems around Europe. Uh, what uh, does uh, what mechanisms does uh, European uh, Council of Europe have at its disposal to prevent further backsliding of uh, illiberal democracy tendencies across Europe? which is our human rights commissioner. This is a new office. Um, it was actually introduced in 1999. She is, I think, the fourth um, personality, um, human rights defender, to assume this office. Um, as you know, Dunja Mijatovic is um, from the region of the Western Balkans. She is a national of Bosnia and Herzegovina and has also served as the um, representative for the freedom of media of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe before. And when you ask what kind of mechanisms exist, the establishment of the Office of the Human Rights Commission is one of those. Because what we found over the 70 years is it's not enough to wait until we find out that things are going wrong because there's a court case. Um, Because then it means actually that mistakes have been done. Rights have been violated. Domestic legal remedies, meaning people have gone to local courts, national courts, courts of cassation, etc. And then suddenly it arrives at some moment in Strasbourg. So many, many years go by and it may be actually very late to take corrective measures. That's why back in 1999, the um, in the 90s basically, um, in the late mid-90s, the member states of the Council of Europe said, now we need something like a like a watchdog and someone who can tell us where things are going right. And what Dunja Mijatovic did with the statement on the independence of the judiciary is actually exactly this. 
saying, I have to raise my voice to say this is an important phenomena in European societies, in European democracies, that the judiciary is actually not always working the way it should, the way it could, but also that there are obstacles being put into the way of the judiciary. And I can only warn, she, Dunja Mijatovic, states to take the remedies now. Now, the Council of Europe is an organization, an international organization, working on the basis of conventions, Mm -hmm. of agreements that states take, and the responsibility for their implementation sits with those states. For the human rights itself, they have established a joint monitoring mechanism which is including a court, which can take legally binding decisions. But there are many other monitoring bodies as well, mm-hmm. which actually touch upon those issues. And um, here maybe we should, particularly when it comes to the broader field of functioning of the judiciary, we have a group, uh, an expert group called Group of European States Against Corruption. Mm-hmm. Because often what we find is that corruption and the judiciary and the problems of the function of the judiciary they, they somehow are linked. And when we talk about the functioning of the judiciary, we, of course, also function, talk a lot about the functioning of the judiciary with regard to civil rights, to the rights of citizens to do business, to enter into contracts with each other. And that if I sell you my car and you have a problem with the car or I sold you something which is faulty that you can go to court or some some other kind of legal remedy mechanism that solves our disputes quickly. So it's also important for creating prosperity, it's also important for creating a market economy and for extra, uh, allowing for the free exchange of citizens um, of, of economic services, goods, etc. For this we need the judiciary as well. So Greco is mm-hmm. at, at, at this thing um, and of course on a more theoretical level if you wish um, the Council of Europe has an expert body for now more than 30 years, or just about 30 years, um, called the Venice Commission. Yes. And the Venice Commission is named after a very clever idea of my colleagues um, in the legal department of the Council of Europe. I said, ah, we have these countries who want more advice on constitutional law. How do we get constitutional experts of the highest caliber to work on these questions. And then there was someone who must have been extremely foresightful in our secretariat and said, like, let's have these meetings in Venice because then they will come regularly because it's very attractive. And um, gratefully, the region of Venice, Venice or Veneto and the city of Venice have uh, um, provided us with a very, very beautiful palace in which these kind of meetings can take place. But this shows you also something else. And it's not only an anecdote. Because, of course, cooperation needs incentives. It needs to be repeated. It needs the commitment. It also needs a joint commitment. Because these people who are in the Venice Commission and advise on very tricky constitutional questions do this in, on top of their normal job. Uh-huh. There may be high-level uh, civil servants. There may be a judge in a, in a high, high court, in a constitutional court. There may be law professors of... Uh, of uh, eminent law professors, etc. So this is another kind of these bodies of helping, mm-hmm. and hoping to give advice so that things are not going in the wrong direction. Let me just go on this last point. You call it backsliding, for mm-hmm. the backsliding. That is a language of movement. Um, 
and it's not a language that is um, easy to understand um, because it would actually presume that there is an ideal status from which you backslide. Um, I think what we have learned in the last 70 years is um, that progress needs to be made and there is the idea of progress. If you look at, mm -hmm. for instance, what, what human rights mean today, it's much larger. Gender equality, for instance, you look at gender equality in 1949 in 1961 for instance switzerland joined where not everyone had the right to mm -hmm. vote women were still in some context excluded in the 1960s this was one of the starting points of gender equalities and now we have the istanbul convention going even far beyond um, only you know civic rights but also you know the particular kind of violations of human rights of women including in the domestic sphere so things are moving there is mm -hmm. progress that's true But at the same time, societies also always are struggling to find the way ahead. And that process is not always linear. So the idea of linearity and backsliding would actually mean that you need to make up the same kind of mileage you dropped back and then you go through the same process uh, up again, if you mm -hmm. stay in your metaphor. But I don't think it's like this. Sometimes things don't develop as one would have imagined they would develop, but maybe another opportunity comes up or some changes are taking place that allow to develop in a different direction. Okay. I would like to give you an example. Um, yes. For instance, when you look at democracy in the Western Balkans, I think we probably will see uh, the real renewal of democracy at the local and regional level in particular at the local level, not only in the Western Balkans, but throughout Europe. Um, and if we don't manage uh, to renew local democracy, and this has become a big theme currently as well, um, as we speak, there is a World Forum of Democracy in Strasbourg. Um, local democracy is, I think, um, where new forms need to be experimented. The more societies become globalized, the more individual interaction becomes an interaction in the virtual space probably the more we need to go back to the ground of where people are coming together and they're taking decisions together i just come back this morning from mm -hmm. the city of shabbats um, in serbia and it was very interesting the mayor there mm -hmm. explained to me how they have introduced participatory budgeting in the um, local communities and um, how they actually engage now over time, more than half of the population is participating at local level on how certain budget items are being spent. And that had also increased, um, in, in, according to him, also the tax volume um, on this issue. And this is what is, I wanted to say. It's like you, you, we often had to focus on one thing, but maybe then the renewal, mm -hmm. or the progress comes at a different corner. Well, if you stay with the logic of backsliding, you say it's only one track, And on this track, you slide back and forth, like you know here in the in the studio with the mm -hmm. with the kind of um, regulators. And um, I think this is um, that we should not fall victim to lazy thinking. Exactly. So, as far as I understood, uh, in light of your visit to Shabbat this morning, support to bottom-up initiatives and to building local democracy from the local level is also one of the ways in which Council of Europe works to support the nascent democracies in the West Balkans, in Serbia, 
in particular? Yeah, I mean, we have 47 member states, um, mm -hmm. Serbia being one of them. And um, the Charter, the European Charter of Local and Regional Self-Government is one of the cornerstones mm -hmm. of what we could consider, you know, this constitutional order in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. And um, the court itself has said, uh, the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg itself, that, the, for instance, the convention itself and its protocols establishes some sort of constitutional framework for European states. And then you have these other conventions that add to this, like the European Charter of Local Self-Government, which is extremely important and also informs much of our work, not only here, but in general, um, because if you think about phenomena like youth participation, where do you want young people to start experiencing democracy? Yes, participation in elections is important, but often at the local level is where people can start to make decisions. That's why we have a youth sector in the Council of Europe. Mm -hmm. From that youth sector, together with the Congress of Local and Regional Authorities, we have developed in 1992 the European Charter of Youth Participation at Local Level. And again, this is something where people need to look up more precisely. Um, this is where, where things are happening and where you can engage young people mm -hmm. uh, in, in decision-making. So, yes, absolutely, this is, this is part of um, the action. But we also have seen that it's, again, at the local level that many of these difficult processes are happening. The president of, uh, not the president, the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, has last year convened in the Congress of Local and Regional Authorities in Europe in November, last year, a symposium mm -hmm. on mayors under threat globally. Because often mayors are the ones who feel the brunt when it comes to, you know, development projects, when it comes to organized crime groups ravaging cities, when it comes to, you know, uh, the, this, the, the, the fight for public spaces, for, for parks, for, uh, you know, the decisions of should there be a park, should there be a shopping center, should there be a commercialization of the public space or um, a space that is open for everyone. Um, so um, this is something we need to all pay very much attention to. And I think this is not something that is now particular to Serbia. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's when you talk about this idea of democratic backsliding, I think is where energy needs to be focused um, and creativity needs to be focused. We need now to look at the next stage of yes. where are things happening. And um, our um, member states and also, for instance, the Commissioner Mijatovic you mentioned before, but also our other monitoring bodies, the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, but also what we hear from civil society organizations, youth organizations, media is that we need to now look more at artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, can you say something more? Why? So can we stop this technological, technological development? Probably not. But can we regulate it? Yes. Do we have mm -hmm. the responsibility to regulate it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do we need to make it transparent and even have, to have a democratic control of this? Yes. And that's why also at the World Forum of Democracy, which I mm -hmm. encourage also your listeners to maybe consult on the website of the Council of Europe because it's there are podcasts and video streams available. Um, for instance, there was um, the author of the book, uh, Ms. Shabouf, um, 
of the book Surveillance Capitalism. She was one of the keynote speakers, and um, she has when uh, she has gone very much to the depths of these phenomena. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. There's been some recommendations by um, also uh, Human Rights Commissioner Mijatovic on artificial intelligence, human rights, which give a you know a initial uh, kind of direction of thinking. Um, and I think there are a number of working bodies being formed and maybe we will see the emergence of a new instrument at mm-hmm. some moment, legal instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know which form or shape it will take, um, but I think there is a lot of work being invested. By the way, the recommendations by the Rights Commissioner will be or are being, as we speak, translated into Serbian language. Mm-hmm. And we will, together with the Human Rights Commissioner next year, early next year in January, also present them to the public in Serbia. Mm-hmm. Um, as a f- basis of discussion, because we also understand that many states here in uh, southeastern Europe are observing these, um, and um, this is an important issue um, for all uh, our work. We will actually do this probably around the day of um, data protection, mm-hmm. uh, which is the 28th of January, the International Day for Data Protection, because also um, we have updated in the view of the technological development, the Convention 108, um, it's called 108, um, it's a convention, the first convention from the early 80s on data protection and electronic uh, data processing. Um, unfortunately, Serbia has not yet signed and ratified this convention, um, but we hope that this will also soon happen because it actually you know, makes an update on, on what, is, what is happening. Okay. And it also shows maybe as one element that it's important to also have certain standards which are beyond the narrow remit of the European Union because, for instance, data protection concerns a lot of countries also which are outside of, of the European Union. Um, and this is a standard that is also open to neighboring countries of the Council of Europe. Mm-hmm. Thanks for this very informative talk. We touched upon many topics which could be elaborated further, but for the sake of timing, uh, is there anything uh, that I didn't ask you that you would like to be, uh, that you think is important that needs to be mentioned here? Thank you for asking a very challenging question and for, yeah. of course, being interested in the work of the Council of Europe no, but of course we um, can only encourage, in, uh, having been myself someone who has, as you kindly pointed out in your introduction, uh, someone who has been engaged in, 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 in training and, 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 and academic work and also in, in, in the work of non-governmental organizations, I think it's very important that we continue to increase the level of our discussion and your podcast um, contributes to this um, and um, not fall victim to lazy thinking. Um, but also ground our reflection in the historical perspective of how much has been already invested into um, these instruments in order to keep them alive. Um, I think this is um, the the challenge now, um, to carry the heritage into the future. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll be surprised if you read some of the old texts. I can encourage readers. As I said, I mentioned the convention, but there may be other old texts uh, which are extremely inspiring to read because they were very foresightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting to know our own history is one of the important things. And 
um, of course, this is something which we didn't touch up on at all, is education, mm-hmm. the importance of history learning for European unity, um, for having a broad perspective of our history as a continent, as peoples, as groups of peoples in, in Europe. So there mm-hmm. is a whole cultural dimension which we didn't mm-hmm. really touch up on um, uh, today, but I'm, uh, I'm sure that we will continue the conversation. Thank you very much, Mr. Kvasenkamp, for your inputs.